In the name of the true and living God, amen. Please be seated. Die-hard baseball fans may be familiar with the name Jefferson Burdick. Jefferson Burdick was not a baseball player. I don't believe he was even an athlete. And incredibly, allegedly, he never even attended a baseball game. But Jefferson Burdick was an electrician who lived in Syracuse, New York, who had a passion and a talent for collecting. Ever since the age of 10, he spent all of his time and energy collecting printed materials. And by the 1940s, 1947 exactly, um, he offered his collection of more than 300,000 items to the New York Metropolitan Museum in New York City. Uh, they received the collection and a big part of that was baseball cards. And in fact, his collection of baseball cards, which is now available to be viewed and enjoyed by the public, um, is one of the most renowned collection of baseball cards in existence. And you can go there and you can see on the wall hanging some of these really sought after cards. One of the cards in particular, the prized possession of the whole collection is the card of a particular player named Honus Wagner. The Honus Wagner card, which is one that is in immaculate condition but I will tell you, if you go to the Met today and you look at the Honus Wagner card hung on the wall, you will probably be underwhelmed. It's about an inch and a half wide, two and a half inches tall. The picture of the player, even though he was one of the great players of his age, it was 1909 when the card was printed, doesn't really look like much. He looks like an uncomfortable person seated before the person who is taking his portrait. He's got his... Uh, shirt buttoned all the way to the top of his thick, his thick neck. It says Pittsburgh across his chest. And a strange orange color is behind him. But that card, a very similar card to it, in similar condition, broke the record of most expensive baseball card ever to be sold. It sold for $6 million. Interestingly, there were some nuns who were renovating their convent, and during the process of renovations, digging through the building, they discovered a very beaten up, torn up card of Honus Wagner. They auctioned it off for $260,000. When we do our bell tower, I hope we find some baseball cards. <laughs> it is strange the way that we humans choose to assign value to things. That to which we assign value is not an absolute. Often it is a very conditional thing, the way that we make value. It can be arbitrary, and it can change. It can be in flux. I shared with some of you recently about a backpacking trip that I took this summer with my wife Sarah and our daughter Zoe, who is in an all-girls Boy Scout troop here in D.C., we were out on the trail for two weeks, and one of the first things that we did, one of the memorable parts of the experience was we pulled out the map, and we looked at the camps where we were going to be staying over those two weeks in the wilderness. And some of those camps had streams near them, or a spring, or some sort of source of water, but some of those camps were dry camps. You have to plan it out ahead of time, because if you've got a dry camp you're going to be staying at, you have to bring extra water from the camp before, which is a big deal when you're backpacking. 
because the weight really matters. Just imagine that feeling when you're out on the trail and you don't want to add a single ounce to your backpack, but you have to carry enough water to be able to stay hydrated, to cook and to clean for the next 24 or 48 hours. It helps you appreciate how important and valuable water is. Interestingly, our very last day on the trail, uh, we went to a camp that was supposed to not be a dry camp, but when we got to the camp, which was on the side of this big, beautiful metal, really remote location, um, a couple of us went over to where the spring was marked on the map, and we found what was supposed to be the spring, but it was just a big, looked like a puddle of mud. And the water in it was the same opacity as chocolate milk. There's little insects flying over the top, and you could see fish swimming inside it. And you know what we did? We used our filters and our iodine pills, and we happily drank that water. And I will say, fortunately, it was the last day of the trip because it killed our filters. <laughs> but it changes the way you see things. After an experience like that, think about it yourselves the next time you turn on a faucet. The next time you use water that is perfectly drinkable and good to take a shower or to flush a toilet. It wasn't that we valued water too much on the trail, but rather how shockingly easy it is for all of us to take a wonderful, essential commodity like that for granted so much of the time. We can so easily fail to value what is most good, most life-giving, most essential, and sometimes place value exactly on the things that are most fleeting, least essential. We see a clash in value systems in today's gospel reading. When a man comes up to Jesus and he says to him, teacher, tell my brother to give me my share in the inheritance. So we can uh, deduce from this that these brothers had a father who had amassed some sort of wealth and then he died without leaving a will. And in Jesus' day, it was the older brother who got to make the decisions about how the money would be distributed. And so for this man to come to Jesus and tell him to speak to his brother tells us the relationship has broken. <clears throat> Notice what he asked Jesus. He doesn't ask Jesus to judge or determine what is fair in the situation, because this man already knows what he believes is fair, and that is that he should get money. He's only asking Jesus to be the enforcer of his view. He also does not ask Jesus to help him repair a broken relationship. Because apparently this man is valuing the money that he wants to get more than the precious relationship with his brother, which has been at least wounded, if not severed. And Jesus, of course, responds not by doing the will of this person, but instead by telling a parable about a rich man who had a problem. What sort of problem? The problem this rich man had was that he had too much wealth he didn't have room to store it all. Interestingly, the man in the story talks to himself. He says to himself, what should I do? And then he answers his own question and says, I know, I will build bigger storehouses. 
Commentators had pointed out that in Jesus' day, when social relationships were so important, it is a sad depiction that this man had nobody to talk to, nobody to discuss these important questions with except for himself. He's asking questions to himself of what he will do for himself with the stuff that he himself owns. The man is wealthy, but he is isolated. And in any event, he solves his own problem. He says to himself that he can now relax with his solution. He will make bigger storehouses, and he will store all of his wealth there. And so then he could eat, drink, and be merry. The word relax, he says he will relax, then eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, In the the Greek, actually, shares uh, a root with the word, or it's actually a pun on the word fool. Because immediately after that, God corrects him and says, you fool, you, don't, you do not know what you're doing. So you, you hear the, this phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. It's quoting Ecclesiastes. There's more to the quote. He only got the first half of it. The second half, is the, the whole quote is this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And completing the quote, God says, today your life is required of you. Essentially, the life that has been on loan from me to you is now required back. This time is coming to an end for you, and whose will all this wealth become? This man has squandered his resources, caring only about himself and his possessions, and failing while he had the chance to do something lasting, like being generous towards others, and failing to be rich towards God. The way that we set value matters. If we don't get valuing right, we cannot get God right. And only when we get our sense of value closer to being in line with God's sense of value can we truly live in a godly way, in a way that is aligned with Jesus' way of love. Because the first step in loving God and loving neighbor is valuing God and valuing neighbor. And when we do, we find that, in fact, we are freed. You may wonder, why is Honus Wagner's card so incredibly valuable? Yes, he was one of the great baseball players of that time, but that's not the reason. The reason is... The cards back then were sold inside of tobacco, uh, cigarette packs, and other tobacco products. And Honus Wagner, who happened to be a teetotaler and allegedly cared about his fans, especially the young fans, didn't want his image to be used to sell tobacco products to young people. And so he demanded that they not print his card anymore, and they agreed. Nobody knows how many cards were actually printed, but it was not very many, and so very few survive today. So it is an interesting twist. This arbitrarily valuable item did actually come from somebody's moral choice. What we do, how we live, and whom we choose to value and how we choose to value them It is up to us, and it matters 
and it will make a difference. We are given life and breath today, a gift from God more valuable than we can know, and one not to be wasted. And will we take what we receive and store it up only for ourselves? Or will we use our lives to be rich toward God? Amen.